Everybody loves chalupas. Everybody wants them now. If you really need chalupas, I'm the one to show you how. Chalupas. I got chalupas. And if you got a chalupa, I don't know what the F you want more. Do, 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 do. Chalupas. Everybody got chalupas. And you know what I heard about your mom? She's a great big hello, folks. This is Rish Outfield, and you are listening to the Rish Outcast. And if I have timed this correctly, it's somebody's birthday. I don't often do this. I guess I will try and do a Christmas episode and a Halloween episode every year. And there have been years that I've done Valentine's Day episodes. There is the yearly Bastille Day episode of The Outcast, but my buddy Marshall Latham has a birthday this week and he is turning 40, finally. Doesn't look a day over 41. And uh, I've been focusing on this daily Outcast thing where uh, I produced, I recorded 30 episodes in a row. You know, usually I would do two or three in one sitting and then the next week I do two or three more, and I've been focusing on editing those and putting them out there. I didn't want there to be a day when I didn't get one out. And you can still go over to patreon.com forward slash wishoutfield and listen to those. You know, they're free. They don't cost you anything. It's it's just a hope that while you're there, you'll say, hey, you know what? I'm going to toss Rish Outfield a, a fish head. But um, because I've been focusing on that, I haven't really produced any new Outcast episodes. I've got, I think I told you, I've logged five or six of the podcasts that dare not speak their name episodes that I did in the fall. You've heard me say before how much more productive I am when I go down to the cabin, the family cabin. And part of that is because there's no internet, so that's fewer distractions. But another part is that there are no other people. You know, I can't just call Big Anklevich on the phone, although I have. I've called him a couple of times while I've been up there, and it's usually a very one-sided conversation, and that side is, hey, can you hear me? But uh, every year, Marshall Latham has a birthday in early February, and I'm not sure why he does it. If I were him, I would stop, frankly. But... I realized that that was coming, and usually I'll do like a song for him, or I'll do nothing for him. He, he prefers the latter, actually. But I thought, this year, I thought of it early enough, I could do something. And so what I decided to do is that in 2021, he started doing a podcast that was semi-weekly, that he called The Walk of Life. And it, its theme song was that Dire Straits song you just heard. Not the uh, Chalupa thing. Dang. Usually, hmm. well, that was not wisdom on my part. Basically, he would get on and he would talk about his goals. And he would say, I'm going to exercise pretty close to every single day. And as proof of it, he would take along either his recorder or his phone and narrate as he was exercising. And I'm not sure that anybody else appreciated it. Perhaps his wife did. 
I, I'm not sure. But I appreciated it. I thought that that was admirable, and it made me want to do something similar. It, you know, for two years, I wrote every single day, and I blogged every single day. And for more than a year, I exercised every single day. And it helped to know that there was somebody out there who said, hey, I'm in your corner. Uh, I, I wish you luck. Godspeed, my friend. Death be not proud. Anyway, I enjoyed listening to these Walk of Life episodes. You can go over to his uh, Patreon if you'd like, and uh, you can listen to him there. It's just, he's, he's cut back now. He just does it once a week. But even so, once a week is hard to do. You know, try doing a daily podcast, kids. Although, I know there have been people who are way, way more dedicated to their podcasting that do do a daily podcast. And don't snicker when they say do-do. Anyhow, when he was doing this Walk of Life podcast, I thought it would be fun to do a parody podcast called Walk of Death. And I didn't do it. But thinking about that, thinking about what would a Walk of Death be, I got an idea for a story. And that's what I'm running today on the show. And here is the moment where I warn you that it's not a good story and don't listen to it. Turn it off. Turn it off. Except I'm cutting out that part and I'll put it as an outtake. And when you get to it at the very end of the episode, you'll say, damn it, why did you cut that out? I would have turned it off. I'm cruel that way. So go ahead and listen to the story. And then I'll talk to you a little bit after the story, and I'll probably apologize for the quality of the story. But you never know. Walk of Death by Rish Outfield Every year on the second day of the second month, it was time for the Witherer to come through town. This had been a tradition for as long as anyone on Colony Clarkson could remember, having persisted for decades and was a holiday of sorts. The town had other, more pleasant holidays. Landing Day, Feast of the Harvest, Christmas Day, Colony Eve, Gratitude Week, Elders Festival, and Valentine's Day. But everyone knew the Death Walk was a different occasion, and as many townsfolk as were physically able to come out to watch did so. It made little sense that people would gather for such a dangerous event. It would have been much wiser to board themselves up in their houses or worship domes, waiting for the old man's visit to end. But those that did so inevitably fell ill, and some did not recover. Nobody wanted to get sick. Everyone knew what had happened before. Everyone remembered. There had been a plague, back when the planet was first settled. And that plague had completely wiped out the other settlements, even Hewson Colony, which had been the biggest, most prosperous community, with over 10,000 souls. Colony Clarkson was more than half that size today, though and getting larger all the time. The populace was, for the most part, 
healthy and fertile and happy. Well, happy except for on the day of the death walk, when anyone could meet an awful demise just from encountering the witherer. The colony's children had a little song they would chant while playing together, most of the days of the year. A morbid tune, they would sing, Whither goes the witherer? Death will surely come. Everything must rot and die, he touches with his thumb. Just pray he doesn't notice you, much less reach out his hand. For his cursed touch is death for every plant or beast or man. But as the first month of the year came to an end, suddenly nobody dared utter those words, even the older kids who respected nothing, because the man himself was too close, and he would be coming. The witherer himself lived in a big house with a high plexi-steel wall around it at the far end of town, where the houses were all derelict and the orchards were untended. Nobody wanted to live within sight of the old man's house, any more than they dared live in one of the abandoned other colonies, where there was food and water and free lodgings, but every soul sickened and died there after a while. No, only Clarkson was inhabited, and the death walk seemed to be the price they must pay for their continued existence. A ship had left the planet, still called Sumnerica, after the first man to set foot on it many decades ago, looking for another world to thrive on. But it had never returned, or gotten word back that something viable had been found. For now, the best the people could do was to carry on, foraging in the dead colonies for supplies and luxuries, breeding and erecting new housing, and tolerating the horrible old man who visited them once a year. In the meantime, they did bring him food, clothing, and fuel for his heat and power, but left it outside the gate at his home. He seldom spoke to the delivery boy or girl, and waited until they were well on their way before collecting the offerings. He always had kind words to present, words of gratitude and well-wishing, but no young person ever went on a delivery run a second time. You never knew what getting that close to him might do to you. And now the world had gone on its orbit once more, and it was again time for the witherer to descend from his tower, which was only a tower in name, just a small one-family home with peeling paint and crumbling solar panels, and make his dreadful pilgrimage through the colony. Shops closed their doors, school was not in session, and the leaders of the community gathered together in the town square. There was a direct road through Clarkson that looped around at the far end of the colony, and that was the path the old man usually took, since it didn't require him to walk twice over the same ground, except when he got back to his street. Musicians played, but their music was joylessly subdued and solemn. Speeches were given as the citizens waited for the walk to begin, usually about the plague that took so many lives, and the gratefulness they had to the mother that they were still among the living. 
it had become, over the years, a sort of mass funeral ceremony, when the names of those who had died over the past year would be read, and those who were ill or infirm would have their names written on a scroll, which the witherer would take with him. Sometimes those names would be among the first on the list for the next year, but most of the time the people would recover. Every once in a while, someone would approach the witherer. People who had gone insane, or men who thought they might try to kill the old man. But both amounted to madness, and both would die that day or soon after. At the same time, new mothers had a tradition of holding their newborns aloft so the witherer could see them, and that was considered a blessing, that they would be protected even though to be touched by the witherer would mean instant death. A bell started ringing from the empty end of town. The walk had begun. Mrs. Ashley Lewis had gathered with her son, daughter-in-law, and three grandchildren to watch the proceedings. She'd been doing so for fifty years now, give or take and neither dreaded the experience nor looked forward to it. It had been a heart-wrenching ordeal the first couple of times, but it had gotten easier, and there were years when she hadn't given the old man much thought, or tried not to, anyway. Across the street, the band played through a somber dirge. It was also a tradition, and the players were well compensated. It was a risk they were taking, doing something loud and attention-getting on a day when nobody wanted to be noticed or singled out. Very few musicians returned the following year, no matter how good the pay was. "'Where is he?' Lola asked. She was seven and was twisting her curls nervously around her fingers. "'He'll be along,' Grandma said. "'Maybe he won't come this year.' said Narvel, who was nine. He said it with anticipation, as though a happy accident could be brought into being by force of will alone. That would be bad if he didn't, said Dorothella, the oldest granddaughter. She was ten, and shifted from foot to foot as though she needed to use a privacy shed. Wouldn't it, Grandma? He's never failed to come through, children. "'Has he been coming your whole life, Ashley?' asked her daughter-in-law, who was holding herself in that telling way that indicated she was pregnant again, whether she was aware of it or not. "'Pretty much.' "'Was the witherer old when you were a little girl?' Lola asked. "'Ah, he's always been old,' Narvel said. Grandma patted his head. "'No, Narv. He was once a boy.' just like you. I don't think so, he muttered. You're all too young to remember before the white ships. But I was a girl then, and this death walk didn't happen until they came. The children knew that, she assumed, but it must have seemed like ancient history to them, like the pilgrim's arrival from Earth in the first place. Did you go to the other colonies, Grandma? Dorothella asked. I did. Once or twice. Of course, there were lots of them. 
lots of people living there, speaking different languages even. Do they look like us? asked Lola. Well, sure they did. They were people just like you. You can see their bones, Dad says, if you go to the other domes, Narv told his little sister, as though sharing a secret. Their father wasn't paying attention to the conversation. He had a scanner and was using it to do a populace count, and more importantly, to determine how far away the witherer was. Did you ever see the white people? Lola asked. Shh, their mother said. It was a macabre topic for a day that was all too bleak anyway. Have you ever seen him wither anybody, Grandma? Narv asked. I have. Not because he wanted to. Of course, when it all started, we weren't sure what he could do, or if it wore off in between walks. A dog barked, and all eyes went to it. The animals tended to know when the witherer was near. But there were still birds singing here and there, and the dog was just somebody's pet, making a brown on the street a few meters away. Grandma opened her mouth to say more, but two boys around Narvel's age ran by and scooped up the dog's mess, no doubt to throw at the witherer when he went by. Some children feared nothing. Narv looked around the ground and found a rock, only a pebble, really. But his grandmother put her plump, wrinkled hand on his shoulder and gave him a surprisingly solid squeeze. None of that now. We just watch in silence, remember? The boy nodded, but did not drop the rock. What if somebody could throw a stone hard enough to kill the witherer? he asked. Then he couldn't hurt anybody no more. Anybody any more, his mother whispered. Finally, the children's father spoke up. We depend on him to keep us safe from the white cold. You know that. Nobody's died from that in forever, Darthella said. Well, he has a negating effect on the virus, Dad said. That's why we're all out here. Didn't you know that? Of course they knew that. But that didn't stop the boy from wishing to kill the horrible old man and be a hero to everyone. The music stopped abruptly, and over the speakers, hidden high up in the trees, the voice of Mayor Montaner said, At the intersection of third, two or three minutes now. Everyone's eyes strained to see Third Avenue, but only those standing on the other side could see that street. A few seconds later, though, the birds flew from the trees, and they could hear dogs whining inside homes or in backyards. The dog that had befouled the street put its head down and covered its snout with its paws. There he is! a stranger called. But after that, people didn't say anything. They didn't want to draw the wither's attention. A minute later, everyone could see him. He was walking, shuffling, really, down the middle of the road, using a long stick someone had carved for the man out of night plastic to balance himself. He was bearded and dirty, his old gray suit tattered and water-stained. He watched the road ahead of him 
and there were marks on the ground everywhere he had stepped, as though he were wet or dripping oil. The people at the head of Second Avenue held their breath as he went by. One of the children, only three or four years old, asked, "'That's the monster?' and hid behind his mother's leg as the old man continued past. There was a red welt on his bald head, made by a thrown stick or a rock, and a fly buzzed around it, drawn to the blood. The fly dropped to the ground, twitching and buzzing once more, before going still. Those near enough to witness this told the others as soon as he was gone. One year there was a rat that crossed behind him. Remember Ma? Dad asked. It flopped around for nearly a minute before dying. I remember that upsetting you something terrible, Lanny, Grandma said. You had to sleep with us for the rest of that week. Oh, that's not true, Dad told his wife, a bit too insistently. She's misremembering. The musicians began to play again, but their heart wasn't in it, and more wrong notes than right were played before the band leader stopped them altogether. They held their instruments while the old man passed by, giving them a nod. One of the clarinet players vomited into the bell of the tuba next to her. I can't look! Lola shrieked, even though he was still a ways off. The witherer was lurching and unsteady, and wasn't able to move very fast. Grandma comforted the child. Try not to fret, dear. He's not a bad man. What kind of talk is that, Ashley? Mom said, though not very loud. He's the worst man on Nary, maybe in all the worlds. He was once just an innocent young man, like everyone. Grandma remembered. And he held my hand when the white ships came. All eyes went to the old woman, except for Dad's, who knew this and decided to look elsewhere. Mom shook her head at the thought of it, but gritted her teeth together to keep from arguing. And you didn't wither, Grandma? Dorothella asked, a mixture of awe and revulsion on her face. No, no. This was before the withering came to the world. She gazed back at the road, where the ghastly creature still approached. I was in love with Lanny Marcham, even though he only had eyes for my sister. Dad shook his head, but didn't say anything. What could he say to a mortifying confession like that? Narvel's eyes were wide and unbelieving. Ew! You loved the Witherer? Grandma tried to smile, but was only half successful. He wasn't the witherer then. Just a boy with big brown eyes and a kind heart. The children's mother didn't want to hear any of this. Please stop talking like that, Ashley. You're scaring the children. Actually, the story was putting the grandkids more at ease. But Grandma nodded and said no more. Wait a minute, Dorothella muttered. She tugged on her father's sleeve. Your name is Lanny. Were you named after the... Dorothella's mother put her hand quickly over her daughter's mouth. Enough! She hissed, 
loud enough that many of the townsfolk standing near them looked over in alarm. Darthella didn't say anything when Mom took her hand away, but she took a few steps closer to her grandmother, tears in her eyes. In the road, the witherer got closer. Babies were crying, and the old folks shivered, though it was not a particularly cold day. One of the boys who had scooped up the dung ran into the street and threw it at the witherer. He was not a good shot, and it missed its mark by a pathetic margin. The old man paused in his death walk, glared at the boy, and then massaged his back for a moment. The boy froze in place, blinked a few times, and then ran in the other direction, the crotch of his pants rapidly darkening. The second boy with dung to throw, still on the sidelines, wiped it on his pant leg instead. The witherer sighed, leaned on his walking stick, and kept going. I'm sorry, a woman called out from among the crowd. She must have been the poor thrower's mother. She was ignored. The people around her spit into the road, and one or two chose to spit on her instead. The spitting wasn't an official part of the ritual, but nearly everybody did it. The old man was getting close to the Lewis family now. The wither was married to your sister, Grandma? Lola whispered. Oh, no. She married someone else. Nobody married the witherer. The only noise, besides whining, yelping dogs somewhere nearby, was the thunk of the old man's walking stick as it hit the dirt, and the happy sounds of the crowd in the distance where the witherer had already passed. Lola watched him as he went. She wasn't afraid of him now, even though she understood that he could kill any one of them if he reached out and grabbed them. He was four meters away now, then three. Dorothella was crying, and Grandma took her hand, giving it a reassuring squeeze, as the Marcham boy had done with her, when all those awful white spacecraft had arrived in town, carrying plague and near obliteration with them. If it hadn't been for the selfless act of that boy, surely trying to impress Ashley's gorgeous, popular older sister, their colony would have met the same fate as the others. But his loss was their gain, and he continued his walk. Two meters, then one, careful with each step, lest he fall. Little Lola waved at the old man. He paused, looking. The people in their close vicinity tensed, and a few backed away. Some negligent parent hadn't warned their child not to engage with the witherer, despite the well-repeated nursery rhyme. The old man looked at the girl for a moment, then looked at the girl's grandmother, his craggy face unreadable. The grass under his feet had yellowed from his pausing. A couple of leaves fell from the tree beside the road. The witherer walked on, his head down, concentrating on his task. Three meters, then four. Grandma breathed a sigh of relief as he left, and then remembered to spit on the ground like the other townsfolk, cursing herself for her weak feelings of pity. 
Do you think he recognized you, Ma? Dad asked. His hands were sweaty, and he looked pale, like he too might throw up. A lot of people did. I doubt it. But your girls look a bit like my sister and me when we were their age. That horrible man, the children's mother said, and shivered. She peered up the street, but there was no sign of him now. The dogs had stopped carrying on, and a rainbow lorikeet had landed in the tree next to the band. He was really young once, she asked her mother-in-law. Now that the danger was gone, she didn't mind satisfying her curiosity. Was he handsome? Not to most, no. But to me? Grandma was looking at the sky now, remembering. And did your sister love him, too? Grandma shook her head. Oh, no. She was out of his league. What does that mean? Lola asked, but was ignored. Narvel asked, What happens when he dies, Grandma? I don't know, the lady said. He's older than me by ten years. Maybe he can't die. They all contemplated that thought. The band started up again, though not the tuba player, understandably. This time playing something a bit more up-tempo, not quite a celebration song, but not a funeral dirge, either. I hope he does, Narvel said, and realized he was still holding the rock he'd picked up. He dropped it on the ground and waited for the mayor to announce they could return to their homes, or gather in the square to break bread. Maybe next year would be different, but that was a long way ahead of them. For now... Ashley Lewis ran a hand through her white-streaked hair and recalled how one boy had saved all their lives by carrying that awful disease inside of him. She made a promise to herself that next year there would be no rock-throwing or spitting, at least from her family. Maybe, in some limited way, he would look over at the Lewises on the sidelines and see appreciation, some understanding, Maybe even a friend. The end. Okay, well, there you go. Now, what's interesting... Okay, there's nothing interesting about the story. I realize that. But what's interesting to me is that the story was actually called The Death Walk. And I couldn't figure out why I had called it The Death Walk when I wrote it. This was in, like, September or October that I wrote it, it was not that long ago. If, if you're hearing this in February of 2022, I must have felt like calling it the walk of death was too obvious. Yet, a few months later when I decided to record it, I thought, well, no, the whole point is that it's a play on walk of life. Come on. So I changed the title. I didn't change anything else, though. You've heard me say this before, but I felt like it was a very good idea when it came to me. That there was a sort of scapegoat or plague bird, plague bird, hey, there you go. Somebody ought to write, uh, heck, they should write a novel. 
about a plague bird that came through town and everybody focused their frustration and their ire on that person. And it turned out that as long as that person was still walking around, that they were protected from a plague. That was the idea that I had. And I still think that it's an okay idea. Saying it the way I just said it to you, no, it doesn't feel very inspired. However, you never know uh, when an idea pops in your head whether it will be a good one or not. And somebody that I haven't talked about in a while is Brandon Sanders. And it will be hard to find that John Williams clip to put in there right then because I'm just out of practice. It's probably been six months or more since I've even said his name. He is not my favorite writer. But by all accounts, he's a super nice guy. Okay, I've gone to events where he was there and he seems like a super nice guy. Let me start over. He's not my favorite writer, but he's the favorite writer of a lot of people. I run into people all the time. I'm not a very social person, but I tend to take a book with me everywhere I go. And when I do, sometimes people will ask me, hey, what are you reading? And not invariably, but I'd say one in three or four times that somebody says, what are you reading? And I tell them, Brandon Sanderson comes up. Ah. Well, okay, I've already got the clip. I must have found it because it's gotten easier. It was easier this time. And uh, he is immensely popular where I live. I'm trying to remember. There was a band, Big Anklevich lived in Brazil, let's say. Let's make up a country. Brazil. And there were bands that were inexplicably popular there that were not that big a deal in America. And the big English-speaking band that was super big in Brazil but not super big in America was Aha. Aw-ha. I'll be gone after a day. Oh, that wasn't hard at all. I must be like an octave and a half low. And uh, where I live, Brandon Sanderson is the man. Okay. Sorry, I'm going to have to start paying royalties. Not sure who wrote that song, but boy, hopefully they are very unknown and I don't have to worry. But... That person, who will remain nameless, said in an interview that I read that ideas are cheap. People will always say, hey, I've got a great idea for a book. And he, the author, will say, oh, that's, that's great. You ought to write it. And they'll say, oh, don't you want to hear my idea? And he's like, well, uh, you keep it to yourself. You write it as a story and that, you know, that way it won't influence me or something. I'm sure he is very nice despite being an alien. But his attitude was, ideas are cheap. Everybody has ideas for a great book or a great movie or a great comic book series or a great character. And very few of them ever actually do anything with those ideas. That's not entirely related to what I was saying, except for this idea that I came up with, and, and it's, uh, it's an outpost, right, on some Earth colony in the future that was absolutely wiped out by a disease. And 
at the very end of 2020. Plague year, 2020. I used to say that as though that would be the one year everybody remembered as the plague year. But 2021 was also a plague year, and 2022 is continuing the fine tradition. But uh, at the end of 2020, I thought I would try and put my thoughts and feelings into a story about an outpost where a disease hits and it starts wiping out the population. I wrote it until about January, I feel like, and then I stopped seeing the girl that inspired the story and I lost interest in writing about her, in writing about me, in writing about stuff. So luckily I went on to write uh, Lara and the Witch story and, and I enjoyed that so much that I was able to continue writing daily and several Lara and the Witch stories and uh, I no regrets about that except for toward the end of 2021 I got this walk of death idea in my head and it was very similar right and once I wrote this I wanted to go back and finish the novella the the bigger story that I had been writing about the outpost that got hit in in some ways you could say that they are related that it's the same world the same settlement and I think you can hear the, the the turn signal does that bother you should I cut this out that, well that means I just have to sit in silence until I can go which be, might be a while come on guys it's just dark enough I can't gauge how far away the cars are. Oh, that guy didn't signal. I could have gone. Douche. Okay, here we're back. <laughs> what were you talking about? You could say that these two stories are connected, that it's the same planet, and one takes place a hundred years later, right? So that, that would be fine, except for I feel like that there's magic, or oh, there's there are definitely aliens in walk of death we're all aliens though aren't we so what else can i say about this story what what, what other um criticisms can i make of my own work oh hey let's talk about the character names how's that that's something that i think we can all be critical of not sure where i got the name of the planet from uh some of those the names surprised me even though I had written the story and it hadn't been that long ago. We've talked about that before, about how do you come up with character names, what is right for a character, etc., that kind of stuff. And uh, I don't need to reiterate that here. Just sometimes I will name things according to a theme. <laughs> the children's names, it's not going to be interesting, but my grandmother had a best friend named Dorthella, but because of the country accent, everybody called her Darthella, and uh, I couldn't call her Darthella in this story because that sounds like Darth Vader, and uh, my grandpa had a brother named Norval, but my whole life I thought he was Narv, Narval, because of, again, of that accent, and I... I can't remember where it was that I saw his his headstone. 
Okay, that's a stupid phrase. Obviously, I saw his headstone at the cemetery in the town I grew up in. Jeez. But it was Norville, N-O-R-V-I-L-L. And I was like, well, they, they misspelled Narv's name on the headstone? These things cost thousands of dollars. Oh, gosh. But it, no, it turned out it was Norville. It's just... And then the other, the third was Lola. Lola was the one of the lunch ladies at my elementary school. And she lived in the town. And she was my friend Jimmy's grandmother who was a contemporary of my grandmother and uh, Darthella Cook, who lived in the, the little town. I, you know, I should have named more characters after people in the town. I remember, uh, and I can't remember what story it was at this point, but there was one blind man in the, the, the little town that I grew up in, and he was a mechanic. He, he specialized in lawnmowers. He would fix lawnmowers. And this was just the strangest thing to me because lawnmowers are dangerous or deadly. You know, we were not to mow the lawn in open-toed sandals or flip-flops or barefoot, you know, because we had all heard these horrible stories about what lawnmowers can do. And yet a blind man fixed it if something went wrong. And he would also patch... Tires. If if you popped a tire, well, on a bike, I guess we were supposed to do that ourselves. But if you got a flat tire in your car, you were supposed to take your flat to Blair's house and he would fix it for you. But he was blind and it just seemed to be the natural state of things in, in the farm town where I grew up. But it never ceased to surprise me. I mean, how? how? How does this work? How can he have an understanding of machines? Or, I suppose with a, a, a tire, you get the inner tube out, right? Or he submerges it in a tub of water and you can hear where the bubbles are and his hearing is better than ours. And so he can identify it and patch it that way. But the lawnmower thing, I, I don't get. And, and if my dad were still alive, I could ask him... Well, like, what other sorts of things could he fix? Could he fix a refrigerator? Could he fix a washer or a dryer? And my guess is, I mean, I don't even have to have my dad here. I know what he would say. He would say, oh, yeah, Blair could fix anything. You could take him a camera, something he has no use for, and he could fix it. That's just what I imagine he would say. Anyhow, I, it seems like there were a couple of other odd names uh, that... I, I ought to explain, I, but I can't think of them right now. I, like, like, Houston was named after Bono from U2, and some Nerica is named after Sting. I don't know where Colony Clarkson came from. Yeah, I'd, I guess I'd have to look at the list of names. I, I meant to actually jot them down because I knew I would be driving today, but I failed. <laughs> Why am I still talking, huh? I know you thought of that before I did. I like the idea of communities and somebody who sacrifices themselves for those around him or her. And 
the idea that people hate this character, the Witherer, right? It took me a second to remember his name. And yet he is their savior, is something that appeals to me. How can this be for the greater good? I, I'm trying to think of a parallel, and none are coming to mind. The best I can do is, you remember the end of The Dark Knight? where uh, he says, you know, that they, that they will hunt him. People will hate him because he's not the hero that we deserve, but he is the hero that we need right now. I could be getting that quote totally wrong. Because he's the hero Gotham deserves, but not the one he needs right now. So we'll hunt him. It makes me want to watch those movies again. It probably won't happen for a while, but I sure would like to. That's also something that I have, that has always appealed to me, is when a legend arises about something or someone, and it's not necessarily accurate, but that is how things work. The other day, I was talking to my niece's boyfriend. Uh, they had watched the Beatles documentary on Disney Plus, the Get Back documentary, and John Lennon is a hero to a lot of people. He's a, a legend. He's a, an icon. And Aaron, my niece's boyfriend, was trying to convince me what a piece of crap John Lennon was in real life and not deserving of the deification that we've placed on him. And I, I, I guess I understood what he was saying. You know, the, he, he didn't feel like Lennon was all that good of a person, and yet, you know, people talk about him like he should be on the quarter, and it's hard for me to explain. You see, John Lennon died in 1980, and because he's not still around, he will always be young and he will always be relevant. And the legend, which was already going before he died, just built and built over the last 40 years. And it's, it's natural. It's something that happens. It, it, it happens when someone is dead, especially when someone dies before their time. I, I, I feel weird making a comparison between John Lennon and the Witherer. I guess, okay, here you go. If, if the kid had just chosen to die for the good of the community... There would be statues of him. The community might be named after him. Everyone would love him and revere him and sing songs about him. But he didn't die. And so he's a monster and he's a bugaboo. And he is, you know, something that parents talk about to scare their kids to eat their vegetables or going to sleep on time or not touching themselves. And this old lady... She remembers. She knows the truth. Anyhow, it's just it's something that is an interesting idea to me, the, the, the idea of a legend and of it not being quite true. And uh, I'm sure if I continue to write, I'll tackle that subject again and maybe I'll do it more successfully. Regardless, this was a story that I would not have written if it weren't for Marshall Latham. Uh, it is his birthday. Wish him a happy birthday. He's a good man. If he had only died years ago, there'd be a statue to him as well. 
Good night. The Rish Outcast has reached its end. For now, anyway. And on reflection, I suspect it was produced with some sort of Creative Commons license. Perhaps a non-commercial one. Evidence points to the legendary Gino Moretto for the logo and Algar Van Kluth for the rather rude sound that follows. Shut it! No doubt you noticed the fine music in this episode by one Kevin MacLeod of the website Incompetech.com who released it under a Creative Commons license. It is my recommendation that you share this file, if you see fit, but do not try to sell it or change it or make alterations to it. If that goes well, perhaps you could contribute a dollar an episode or more to the Patreon fund attached to it over at www.patreon.com forward slash Rish Outfield to ensure that more episodes are produced. If that does not go well, however, I suggest you run. Now! Welcome to Scranton, Pennsylvania. They'd brought their mate, Wisteria, and a pair of three-year-old cubs. It's Wisteria. What? It is not. I promise it is. All right, we're going to do chapter 16. This is the sex chapter. I wonder if this is going to be any fun. Kimono, apparently. Uh, I don't know that I, I like apparently. I, I use that word a lot. Now I have to yawn and pee at the same time. A hell of a combination. This chapter is so short, I can pee as a, re a reward. I know what you're thinking. Dad shook his head, but didn't say anything. What could he say to a shocking confession like that? What could he say to a mortifying confession like that? What could he say to an appalling confession like that? What could he say to a disgusting confession like that? Mortifying? What could he say to a mortifying confession like that? I don't! I don't! Oh, boy, the king's daughter is playing at this one-screen theater in town. That's so sad. Nobody goes to that theater anyway because it only has one screen, but oh, can you imagine the attendance on the king's daughter on, like, a Wednesday? They wouldn't even turn on the projector. Whither goes the witherer, death will surely come. Everything must rot and die, he touches with his thumb. Just pray he doesn't notice you, much less reach out his hand. For his cursed touch is death for every plant, or beast, or man.